The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We always appreciate the music our choir brings. Especially appreciate Susan McKinnell being with us this morning on flute. Did a lovely job. Added to our worship service. When I graduated from college, a friend and I started working at a place called the Thomasville Adjustment Center. It was a mental health facility in Thomasville, Alabama, residential facility. And my friend's name was Arvid. And Arvid and I decided that we were going to start memorizing scripture verses, that that would be good for us. He told me I needed to exercise, and I told him he needed to be more spiritual. So we worked it out, and we learned certain passages. I learned about 20 passages. I'm not sure I've memorized scripture since that time. But I hold on to those passages, and one of them is in the middle of the passage you heard today. That if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, but to cleanse us, transform us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the message of grace. I love being a United Methodist. And one of the reasons I love being United Methodist has to do with the fact that we emphasize the grace of God. That grace can be described as unmerited, undeserved, unearned, extravagant love of God towards us. Now, I asked someone before the service whether Evelyn, whether, because <laughs> well, Evelyn knows everything, and I figured she would know the answer to that question. And I said, Have any of the folks here been on a walk to Emmaus retreat? And she said, I don't know. I couldn't believe she didn't know the answer. But have any of you ever been on a walk to Emmaus retreat? Yay. Well, I knew you had. Hey, good for you. That's great. Well, the great thing about a walk to Emmaus retreat is it is all about the grace of God. It's like an adult confirmation class, but way more fun. All kinds of good food, good fellowship, good stories, good speakers. And in that time that you have, that three-day experience, you'll hear about all the different kinds of grace that John Wesley talked about. John Wesley talked about grace in many different ways. One of the ways he talked about grace is called prevenient grace. And I love that. I, I had never heard that word until I was in seminary. So don't feel bad if you haven't heard it before. But prevenient means the grace that goes before, that even before you and I decide to give our lives to Jesus... God's Spirit is working in our lives to bring us to that point. I have to tell you that as United Methodists, I love that we do infant baptisms. 
But I also have to tell you, I didn't always feel that way. Because I wasn't baptized as an infant, and I was baptized when I was 15 years old after I'd made my commitment of faith to Christ. And it just seemed like that that's what baptism ought to be, that you make a decision and then you get baptized. But the more I participated in those baptism services, the more I realized it's really about that that child is marked and that God's Spirit will continue to work in that child's life, that prevenient grace, to bring that child to a place where they make that decision for Christ. Well, the next important grace is what Wesley called justifying grace, and that is when you make that decision. I did that when I was 15 years old, came before the church, confessed my faith, was baptized. We give our lives to Christ, and in that, our sins are forgiven. Now, I kind of feel sorry for Jenny in that she has heard all my stories, and so she gets to hear them again when I preach. <laughs> but I'm basically a mobile boy. Uh, lived in Selma for about 11 years, but we moved back to Mobile when I was a sophomore in high school. Learned to drive at Ladd Stadium. Round and round and round the stadium. I remember that I'd learned to drive, I'd gotten my license, and there was a young lady that I was seeing at the time named Merle. Merle Tunstall. Some of you may remember Dr. Tunstall. But Merle said, let's go to the beach. It was February. <laughs> let's go to Dolphin Island. And her dad had this big old black hunk of metal Pontiac that he let his children drive. And so he said, I could drive Merle to the beach, but we had to take the little sister to a Mardi Gras Tay downtown. And I didn't really know my way around downtown, and we didn't think about the streets being closed. So we're going downtown, realize the streets are closed, and we have to drive around back behind the auditorium. I am so lost. I don't know where I am. I'm just trying to get to where I'm supposed to be. No GPS. And the next thing I know, two cars are hitting me from the side, and those two cars are bouncing off and hitting two other cars. It was a five-car collision. And guess whose fault it was? Mine. Because I didn't see the stop sign. And I remember going to court, and, oh, I'll tell you, I had my best haircut on. I had my sincere blue shirt on. I, I was dressed to impress. And the judge said, how do you plead? I said, guilty, because I was guilty. <laughs> and he talked to some other people, and then he came back to me, and he said, you haven't been driving very long, have you? <laughs> I said, no, sir, just a month or two. And he said, well, he said, do they call you Augustus, which is my real name? I said, no, sir, they don't. <laughs> and he said, well, Gus... Let's watch those stop signs. No fine, got safe driver's insurance. It was amazing. I was guilty as sin, but I was seen as not guilty. That's what God does for us in justifying grace. When we come to him and say, I recognize that I'm a sinner, he forgives us, like in the passage. And then we're seen as not guilty guilty. Our sins are forgiven. I will have to tell you that I found out several months later that my girlfriend's dad, Dr. Tunstall, knew the judge. But that's another part of the story. <laughs> I really have enjoyed the years of being a pastor. And really, my last 11 years were my favorite. 
I was serving in a church where I had the contemporary worship service. That was my responsibility. That was my congregation. And that was really what I'd always wanted to do. And you may not know this, but preachers have a backlog of sermons. And they go start looking through those old sermons to see if maybe there's a good one to do that Sunday. And I had decided that I really felt like there was a need to preach on forgiving grace or the grace to forgive and, and how we should be forgiving people just like God forgave us. So I started going through the sermons, going through the sermons, going through the sermons. I couldn't find a single one on forgiving other people. Not one. I'd never preached on it. And I thought, why haven't I preached on this? Because it's hard. It is so, so hard to forgive people. Especially if they've done something that has hurt us so deeply and caused us so much pain that we have this sense that they don't deserve our forgiveness. And so we don't give it. Philip Yancey has written a wonderful book, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to do that. What's so amazing about grace? And he has a great way of telling stories and explaining how important it is for us to forgive others with the same kind of grace that God forgave us. In the book, he talks about talking with his wife, and he said it was a spirited conversation. And this is what the wife said. I think it's pretty amazing that I forgive you for some of the dastardly things you've done. Yancey goes on to say that forgiveness is achingly difficult. And long after you've forgiven, there's still the wound, my dastardly deeds that live on in our memories. Forgiveness is really an unnatural act. And that's what his wife was protesting, the blatant unfairness. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. We should forgive others. Why? Well, the first reason for us to forgive others is simply this. Jesus tells us to do it. I don't know what it was like in your household growing up. Fortunately, in my household, we could ask questions. You know, our parents would tell us to do something, and we could say, why? But even when we said why, we didn't like the answer. Because the answer was, because I said so. Part of the reason why we forgive is because Jesus said so. When he teaches on the Lord's Prayer, listen to what he says. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For you, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But listen to this part. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I think I went most of my Christian life not hearing that verse. Not hearing that God forgives us as we forgive others. And if we are unwilling to forgive others, it says God is unwilling to forgive us. That seems harsh. It seems hard. But I think it is what it means. It's pretty straightforward. You know, we can take comfort in some of the scriptures that say, if you repent, if you're sorry, then you're forgiven. 
And in our minds, in my mind, I think, okay, great. So if the person is really sorry, and they come back to me begging for my forgiveness, on their knees, groveling, well, then I can forgive them. But the thing is, as you look at the Bible, that isn't the only place we see forgiveness given. Because we see Jesus on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, no conditions. They don't have to be repentant. They don't have to be sorry. He forgives them. Listen to this passage from Mark, the words of Jesus. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. There's no mention of repentance on the part of the person who has caused the wrong. We're still supposed to forgive. From what I read in Scripture, from what I see in the Bible, it seems to be saying that as Christians, we are always the ones that are to make the first move. Now, I'll have to say, that doesn't sound fair. And it's not. It's just how God calls us to be. He knows that's how we ought to interact with one another. It's not fair. But do we, do we want forgiveness to be fair? Do we want God's forgiveness toward us to be fair? Let's imagine that it was like that. And for every perfect day you lived here, I know y'all all have some perfect days, right? Then you get one day in heaven. But that's not how it works. That would be a horrible way to have to live. To think, I have to live every day perfectly, and those are the only days I get in heaven. That would be fair, but God is not just fair. He's gracious. He's abundant. He's extravagant in his love towards us. There's another reason to forgive. When we forgive others, it releases us from bitterness and resentment. Yancey talks about how resentment is to refill something. Have you had someone do something really horrible towards you and you keep thinking about it? A month down the road, six months down the road, a year down the road, maybe 20 or 30 years down the road. And when you do that, you become a bitter, resentful person, the opposite of who we're called to be. Now, Jenny and I have been in a lot of churches, and we've seen this played out so many ways. Even in my very first church, we had what we call the church lady. And the church lady was all up in everybody's business and was never happy. Never happy. Well, she smiled occasionally. But her issue was with something that happened in her past with her family, she couldn't let it go. She couldn't forgive. One of the things I did when I was a pastor in Jackson, Mississippi, Jenny and I were serving at the same church, both associate ministers there, which is kind of fun. We had offices next door to each other. People would say, how do y'all do that? Well, we do okay at home. We do okay at work, too. It's just fine. But on one of my visits to one of the nursing homes, I had two visits to make. And the first visit was two sisters. And I went in the room and said, hi, yeah, Mr. Positive. Hi, how are you doing? Terrible. Oh, I'm sorry. 
The food here is awful. The help here is terrible. We can't stand it here. Good to be with you. I'm moving on. So I went to the next person, another room, another lady, who's, interestingly enough, her name was Grace. And I went into Grace's room, and I said, Grace, afraid to ask, how are you doing today? I'm just wonderful, just blessed. Really? Well, tell me about that. You know, the help here is so nice. They just do anything you need them to do. Mmm, really? Well, how's the food? Food is fabulous. I thought, are these two sets of people in the same place? And they are. The two sisters, bitter and resentful, I would guess because of lack of forgiveness. And then there's Grace. And Grace was happy and joyful. It makes all the difference in the world when we learn how to forgive. Well, I have to tell you that when you read a book like What's So Amazing About Grace, you have to be careful not to apply it to yourself. Because if you start applying it to yourself, you see where you're missing what you need to be doing. I said I'm from Mobile. Sometimes I like to uh, brag about my ancestry. You know that bankhead tunnel? That's my family. My mom was a bankhead, Evelyn Bankhead. And the Senator Bankhead, he was our cousin too. Tallulah Bankhead, cousin. I'm, I'm, I'm almost famous. But you don't always share about the parts of your family history that you don't want other people to know. My grandmother, I talked about my grandmother being an amazing person, taking us on vacations, but there were more reasons she was amazing. When her son and daughter-in-law split, she took on toddler, my two cousins, Archie and Danny, to raise them. Already raised three children of her own. Now she was going to raise these two children. And when Archie and Danny were about six and five, Danny had a heart condition, went to the hospital, had surgery, didn't survive. And so that left my grandmother with Archie. And Archie was a difficult child. He had good reasons. He had been abandoned. Felt abandoned probably by his brother who passed away. And Archie and I were like brothers for a long time until he started going on a different path. And as that path went on, as a teenager, had to get married. Later on in life, he was doing drugs and was arrested and put in prison for drug dealing. Got out of prison. About his fourth wife, when he was about 37, he and some friends were out drinking and getting high. They went into a trailer and they killed a man. So Archie and these men all went to prison. Archie was on death row for a while. If you talk to him, he'll tell you that he was there, didn't actually do the murder part, but was there, so it makes him complicit. It's the same thing. There was a part of me that didn't care that he was in prison because of all the pain he caused my grandmother. And I didn't try to contact him. I didn't try to find him. But after reading this book and teaching the class multiple times and never applying it to myself, 
I realized that I needed to forgive Archie. And I realized I needed his forgiveness as well. Because I was pretty obnoxious. So I looked for him on the internet. Internet's great. And you'll never guess where I found him. I found him on, found him on a prison dating site. <laughs> I don't know how you date from prison. But I got his address, and I was a little fearful of what his response was going to be. So I wrote him, I apologized, I said, if you're open to it, I would love for us to reconnect. He sent me back the most gracious letter. I would love for us to get back together. I would love for us to be able to talk to each other. And so I've been to the prison where he is for several times. He got his sentence commuted from death row to life without the possibility of parole. And really, it's amazing how God's worked in his life, because when I met him, he was not the same person I had known growing up. He was not angry. He had been through a Kairos retreat, which is the Emmaus version in prison, and had been on a Buddhist retreat. He'd gone through all these changes in his life, and he was pleasant, and we laughed, and we talked, and I thought about, why did I wait this long to forgive someone? when it's what God calls us to do, whether we like it or not. But it released me from resentment and bitterness towards Archie, and it opened up a whole new beginning in that relationship, and we stay in touch with each other. This is why we forgive. Jesus tells us to forgive. But in forgiving, we release the person who we think has wronged us, and we also release ourselves. As we forgive others the way Jesus tells us to, it's showing the same grace that God showed toward us. This morning we can be grateful for God's pervenient grace that he was reaching out to us before we ever made a decision to reach out to him. And we can be grateful for the justifying grace where in Christ we are seen as not guilty. And we can commit ourselves to extend that same extravagant grace as we unconditionally love and forgive others. We sing amazing grace. The grace of God towards us is amazing. It's been said that there is nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. And nothing you can do to make God love you any less. That's the grace of God. That's the grace we are called to extend to others. Would you bow your heads as we pray together?